Hello, Crever Hybrids Tribe, and welcome back to the podcast. This is season three, episode six. Today we are with Emmanuel Ortega, the chemical engineering guy. He is a content creator based in Monterrey, Mexico. So this is going to be very interesting trying to figure out what in the world chemical engineering is and how to make a living as a content creator. Thank you so much for being here with us, Emmanuel. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here and share my story with you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Let's get straight into it because we hear engineering, but there are a lot of types of engineers. What is chemical engineering? That's true. Well, a little bit on history. Before 1800s, there were people doing mechanical engineering, which was working with machines, working with steel. But the people back then were using substances that most of them didn't know how it worked. So... Okay, I'm a mechanical engineer, but I need to know how to work with carbon and steel, how much to add it, what type of substances can we add in order to improve the quality of the steel, or maybe also creating gasolines. How can we improve the quality of gasoline so we don't combust inefficiently? Essentially, this little branch started to grow, and eventually some universities started to create these formal studies of chemical engineering, which is Pretty similar to mechanical engineering. A lot of people think it's way more into the lab, like a chemist, where I would say it's chemical engineers are more into the mechanical engineering part in the sense that we want to work with machines. We want to work with bulk quantities. We want to produce a lot. Chemical engineering, it's almost all about creating the chemicals, substances. Anything you see here, it's most likely passed through a chemical engineering process. For instance, plastics fuels, metals, glassware, anything that is, I would say, like either liquid, solid, gas, most likely was created in a chemical engineering process. The most common, let's say, industry that people imagine is refineries, petrochemicals, all that, which is, of course, one important part. But there is a lot of chemical engineering in pharmaceuticals, in agrochemicals, fertilizers. There's a lot in um, construction materials. So essentially, that's what chemical engineering, it's all about, Gary. Hmm, okay. I hadn't thought about it that way before. <laughs> there is no industry without chemical engineering. And the great thing about it is that chemical engineers are not that much compared to other engineering. For instance, civil engineering or mechanical engineering, electrical engineering. Those are engineers that, of course, they have a lot of work, but there is a lot of engineers. Whereas chemical engineers, it's still this hidden niche, which hasn't been quite booming, especially in the late years, it's a little bit stagnant. So that's also another thing to talk about. Hmm, okay. So chemical engineers make things explode when they're supposed to. Right, right. <laughs> the best case oh my goodness. So you said it's stagnant. What's making it stagnant? The typical profile for a chemical engineer is someone that loves sciences and mathematics. And a lot of people is going into the computer science or programming part, or they go to chemistry. Nowadays, with computer science and all these tech revolutions going on, it's also people not even thinking on chemistry. They want to go directly to computers. And also the oil and gas industry, which is, I would say, the backbone of maybe all global industries, is getting a lot of problems with the 
uh, logistics and it's not a industry one would like to go nowadays. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of people are like, ooh, shiny tech. <laughs> yeah. But how did you get into it? If it's stagnating and people are usually picking one or the other, what made you decide, okay, I'm going to focus on this niche right here? Well, actually, I would say the stagnation was maybe from 2005, 2010 with the crises and all that. But when I went there, it was like, I, I don't want anything new. I don't want to explore. I want something classical. And I saw all the profiles of all the people that were graduated. I knew no one that was jobless, all were in very good positions in companies, administration roles, C-level roles, or they were in industry. So I said, well, it seems that chemical engineering is a good way to go. I will enjoy the curriculum or the syllabus, and then I will enjoy <laughs> the, the work itself. All right. This seems to be coming up in your last two answers where it's a very behind-the-scenes field. So if someone is working in that, how do they do networking if they're, say, an engineer who wants to work with an international company? How do you even get noticed? Well, actually, it's pretty hard. I always recommend to my students because they ask me a lot this how to go abroad and go to Canada, European countries, Australia, and of course, USA. And I say the easiest way is go study there. So go for a degree because it's way easier to get an internship, you get noticed, and they will most likely help you to get in the company if they see that you have a good profile, especially in Europe. I don't know why everyone is going to business or technology and engineering are left behind. I see a lot of people from Egypt, India, Mexico, Chile, Colombia, Brazilians, all taking that advantage that there is a lack of competition. You just go there and they're looking for engineers and there we are. So that those are my best guesses. Hmm. Still, you can always apply. I have friends that have applied via LinkedIn or that they go physically before the pandemic. They send their CVs and hope that in the three month gap that they have the visa working, they get interviews and land a job. But I will recommend the previous one. Just study there way easier. All right. You actually did that yourself. You studied in Germany and then you worked with a company for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I did that, but what I noticed is that I didn't want to live there. So <laughs> that's another <laughs> issue. It's now Germany is a cool country. And actually I hate it because I really enjoyed the work I was doing. I was biking there. I really enjoyed it. But life there, like I say, my personal opinion was, no, I think I have more options in Mexico in the sense that it is way easier here in Mexico. They require less resources to be considered top tier. And in Germany, it's pretty straightforward what's going to happen. You're going to be an entry-level engineer, then you become a senior level, maybe stagnate a little bit, five, 10 years. And then if you're lucky, you work hard, you will get the manager levels. Always good pay, a lot of vacations, but still that didn't convince me that much. So. That's something also to consider because people say, okay, it's great jobs and they are great jobs, but are they going to be happy just for the sake of moving and having a better job? You need to put all in, in the balance and see what's the best fit for you. Yeah, money isn't everything. Exactly. A lot of people, the reason they stagnate is because they don't have the training they need. So how did you decide for your courses that you have on your site, which topics to cover? 
Well, actually, I didn't have any clue. I didn't know that much. I started this back in 2013, 14, when online courses were still not a booming section. But then I decided that, yeah, I should just go out and explore. I'm young and started doing subjects that I really wanted. I started with material balances, which is the very first chemical engineering course that you will take. Not quite a course that I will be proud to show right now, but in the moment, I really loved it and I still sell it. It's great because I still have income. People still find it useful because, well, engineering problems are not going to be changing that much, especially chemical engineering ones. The problems are essentially the same. As time passed by, I started to tweak little things and see, okay, people want these, people don't like that. I didn't show my face before, and then I started to show my face, so they generated more confidence in that this is a human being teaching, not a machine. Now I just check out what I want to teach and what people asking me and just cross over that and see how it goes in the marketing, sales and all that. But once I do it, it goes online. Yeah, you must be doing a really good job because like you said, you've been doing it for seven and a half years and you've had 18,000 students. So you know yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks. That's the power of going online. I could be teaching in a university and I will have maybe impacted the life of, let's say, 50 students, 100 students in, per year, 700, let's say tops 1,000, but and only Mexican students. But right now I can impact the life of people that need help all around the world. And there's no excuse because the platform is online 24-7, definitely cheap, <laughs> cheaper compared to uh, actual university degrees. There was no content for chemical engineers. And I really hated that back then. I wanted content to consume and there was none. I will have been eager to pay for a course, especially, let's say, a accessible course, because right now there's a lot of courses, but unfortunately, because it's in the industry and oil and gas pays a lot, there's inaccessible courses for the average guy that goes online. So you need to either get it via your company or so. So that's, I will say, my niche. The people that want to learn, that they don't want to, let's say, lose that much with formalities. People just want to learn casually, but still you have that core part of actually learning the things. That's a good model. With yeah. your site, I really noticed that you have three different pricing structures. Was there a reason that you decided to do that? You have to buy one course separately, a bundle, and even a subscription. So what are those different price points used for? Well, the very first idea I had was a monthly subscription for each course. And then I saw that people don't like that much the idea of paying monthly. So I started doing the option of, okay, if you want it for life, you can buy it at this price point, which of course needs to be a little bit more expensive than the monthly subscription. And then I started to explore more on the pricings and I have been moving a lot of prices. I started from $10 and to $50 and back to 20. I think 20 is good spot. What I have noticed right now is that people don't want to consume very large content. They like to pay for very heavy content because they get a lot of value in the sense that, okay, there's a lot of lecture, but they don't actually consume it. So they will go maybe one hour, two hours on the 15 hour course. So that's something I have also switched to. So something more into two, three or four hours courses. And the monthly subscription is because I really am a, a fan. You pay something and you get access to anything. 
or for example, Audible that you get the, all the eBooks that you want. It's all about you. If you want to spend it or you don't want to, that's all up to you. You take control of your own membership. So that's the idea, Gabby. And my main goal will be to eventually get this single monthly subscription, but I still know there's a lot of people that will rather go and buy one single course because that's the only course that they are interested. So still not quite sure what I will do in the future, but right now I have these like bundle sections. And of course, the more courses you buy, I, I'm also a fan of doing this. If you get more courses, I will give you a discount for sure, because it means that you are actually into the content and I don't want money to be the issue for your learning. Yeah, that makes sense. I've been getting a lot of good ideas from looking at your site and also from Miguel, I think I need to make some courses, but <laughs> yeah, I'm working on it. Now, this is a little bit strange. I know you mentioned it on your site that you started in 2013 in Spanish, but then decided to switch to English. Why? Well, of course, I wanted to do the content in Spanish. I saw that the English speaking world was already having some content. So I said, well, I got to do my own thing for my people, uh, people that speak Spanish, but I didn't have that much feedback. And this is mainly because Latin America, first, the internet access is not that great compared to other countries. And second, we don't have that many access to credit cards. Even though if you have the credit card, you have the internet, people is not that willing to pay that amount into the training because this, I, I would say it's more like a higher price point compared to the average value of, let's say a $20 course for an American will be, oh, it's not that expensive. And if you go to Mexico, that will be, nah, I will not pay that. It's too much for a training. So that's essentially when I realized that, okay, I need to go and reach more people. And the easiest way to go there is English content. And personally, I also love the idea of going full and the competition is now the world instead of I'm the top Latin American chemical engineer content creator. Right now I can say I am on the top 10 or top 20 chemical engineer content creators in the world. Nice. You'd be like first Latin and then the world. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Yeah, I had technically the same thing. I tried at first to do content for people who speak my husband's language from East Africa, but it, it didn't really go anywhere. So I had to widen the field a little bit. It's very hard, unfortunately, even though we have the internet still, let's say for those countries that are not quite there, we need to wait. Yeah, that's true. When they're ready, then the content will be ready I, for them. I'm pretty sure maybe in 10 years, like Spanish, a guy that goes directly into chemical engineering in Spanish will be like sweet on spots, but right now, or five, seven years ago was not. Yeah. Good point. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. If you're watching us, we're streaming to four places at once. Now you might be wondering how in the world is she doing that? Restream. Restream allows you to stream to up to 20 different places at once. 20? What? <laughs> I don't have that many. So I just focus on streaming to LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. That way we can reach our whole audience at the same time. And you guys can participate with each other. 
So this is our link. Oh, no, other way. <laughs> Over here to go ahead and join Restream. So go ahead and check that out. Now let's go back to Emmanuel and find out more about his English learning journey. Emmanuel, you speak English very well. So I want to know what is your secret? Well, to be honest, I wasn't that great English speaker, but I did learn it from the school. My mom was a visionary in the sense that she went to the UK for a PhD and understood the importance of English that was back in the eighties. Right now it's pretty common to send your kids and make them learn English. But back then my mom was, I'm pretty sure that English is something important to learn. And since the beginning as a child, we started learning. To be honest, I never felt confident speaking nor watching a movie until I started in high school, maybe end, end of high school. I wanted to see Dr. House. And <laughs> unfortunately, it was always the first on, let's say, in US channels. And I needed to wait for Mexicans to translate them and then air them. So I started to go direct to the US source and watch them online in English. So my brain was not, of course, saying to myself, oh, this is a great way to learn English. I was, I need to understand Dr. House and my brain was working towards it. So that will be a great tip if you want to learn. Go for something that you actually enjoy, like watching movies, reading, having casual chats. It's also very important. Suddenly I started to improve. And to be honest, in my courses, recording myself, I want to give the best experience to my students. They know I'm not a natural born English speaker. So I try to do the best. And previously I was always like, oh, I will have an accent and maybe Americans are not going to buy it or people from the UK. You will never get rid of your accent. I'm more like the Arnold Schwarzenegger fan that, okay, I have an <laughs> accent. I will take it as my force instead of my liability. And I started just doing and doing. The more you do, the more you practice, the easier it was to me to start the chat. Another tip, I also joined a Toastmasters club which sessions in English. So that was also another thing because public speaking in English was like my worst problem. Having a conversation was, eh, okay, people understand I'm not the best English speaker, but when you're out there in the public scene and you're like, okay, I have excuses. This is not my language. You also have problems that you see the public, you're very scared. Toastmaster helped me a lot, like control myself, nervousness, be more confident. And of course, keep practicing English because to be honest, guys, it's very hard to practice English if you're not in a English speaking country. So those were the ways I will say boosted my English knowledge. And of course I read a lot online. I always consume my content in English if possible. Oh, you mentioned that public speaking is hard and a few reasons, but what else makes it so difficult compared to a conversation? We'll say the typical idea that someone that is speaking to an audience must be someone that is confident, someone that has authority in a topic. We all have this imposter syndrome. It's very huge. Once you are in the stage, you're like, wow, why am I here? Who am I to teach or show or even talk to these people? What are they thinking? My typical thinking was, okay, they're just analyzing how I'm failing. And then I started to fail this cycle of just throwing all away because the more I speak, the more I think I was failing, the more I think I was failing, the more I picture the people thinking that. So yeah, I would say that the typical public speaking fear is that, that 
just fear of nothing but something is there yeah it makes your mind go blank you're like oh no (laughs) what would you say from toastmasters and now from all of this recording that you've done are maybe your top two or three tips to help someone to improve their delivery you say practice it's like going and to ride bicycles. So how do you improve? Do you read a book? Do you ask for tips? Or you simply go or also analyze and think and try to improve and make it more methodical. So that will be one tip. When you go and you want to prove how you make your hook, okay, work on that. Or you want to make people laugh, okay, work on that. So be very punctual. And as time passes by, you will be mastering this checklist. When time passes by, maybe two, three years, you'll see, oh, I already can do all of these because I focus on my work. So that will be a very strong one. Just focus in practicing, but not just for the sake of doing stuff. It's also about methodology. But of course, even doing without planning is better than not doing. That's true. And it's funny you mentioned riding a bicycle. It's important to practice, but also in a safe place. (laughs) Always in a safe environment. Yeah, so what would be a a safe environment to practice your public skills where there wouldn't be any seriously bad consequences for messing up? (laughs) With your friends, it's always a good idea. And try to control the conversation, the interactions. I don't mean that you need to be doing all the speaking, but that try to make it like as if you are in control of that session or let's say that interaction. Toastmasters, once again, is a good example. People always willing to help you. Always, if you can do it, let's say if someone invites you to do a public speaking thing, or if you can do a conversation or a conference, always go for it just for the sake of improving yourself. And of course, that later on, you will see that you will get a lot of people to know you. You will be improving your speak. You will be improving all your content because also it's all about giving an idea or send an idea communication that's the point you want your message to be known in the world so yeah those are good places to start with and i don't know what else can be done to prove that unfortunately there is not so many places for for that so that's why i would say that's the typical horror story that people really hate to do public speaking stuff one of the ways that i use is like I'm having trouble do it now <laughs> is recording yourself while looking at the camera. So uh-huh. the camera is your audience. Then you can watch it again and see, oh, I'm not looking at it enough. Or there are certain things that I keep doing that I need to stop doing. That helps too. That's true. Yeah. Also recording yourself. It's great. Even though you might not upload it, it will be a recommendation as well. Very nice there. Yeah. It does get better with time though. So don't give up you guys. Now you've been doing this for seven and a half years, as we mentioned. Why did you decide to make the change from working for all of these big time companies to doing this for yourself? It could have been as a side gig, but you decided to make a full-time thing. Well, I always wanted my stuff. And to be honest, when I went working for some other company, I saw that it was not my company, not my products, not my service. It's not my client. It's nothing mine. You're just a cog in a machine. And even though you may think 
okay, we are doing this and we're part of a team. I really never felt that this was mine. So for instance, I always thought if the company goes bankrupt, of course, I will be feeling bad for the company. And I didn't feel that I was putting my skin into the game. And for me, that's very important. That was one issue. Second issue was pay, pay in Mexico. It's not that great. You can just sell stuff online for dollars and magically you are like in another level because you're getting dollars. You can exchange them for pesos, great conversion, and you're not even charging that much. So that was another thing that I saw. I also wanted more time. And once again, in Mexico, we don't get that many vacations. In Germany, you do have a lot of vacations, but I, I just imagine myself like retiring young, or maybe if I want to go one week away, I don't need to ask for permission. I wanted the flexibility. And I started, of course, reading all these typical books, the four hour week and how to get more passive income. I saw that online courses was one option. You create the course, you upload it. Of course, it takes a lot of time and you sell it. You can sell it continuously while you're doing more content, sleeping, uh, surfing, whatever you want. So that idea was very powerful to me that not only the idea, of course, being free, but I can stack value. I could create one course and then one course that is related to this. So if you buy the first course, most likely you're going to buy the second one because it's related. If you like the way I present things, that is the best marketing. I sell you something that you like, and then you continue buying because you actually enjoy the content. So those were the things that made me go from like employee to freelance. And eventually, I don't know if I want to convert into a company, but for now I'm very happy the way I am a one man show doing everything. The best thing I feel is that if I fail, it's because of me, not because some HR manager told the company to get rid of half of the people. It's all about me. If I fail, it's me. If I succeed, it's because of me. That's the main idea, Gabby. I will say that's made me go from A to B. Amen. Freedom. Yeah. <laughs> now, some people are like, yeah, I'm the one man show. I do everything all the time, 100%, 110%. But you even mentioned on your website that you have hobbies. You like to play the saxophone and do jigsaw puzzles. Why does having hobbies help you to continue long term? What's good about that? Well, hobbies is the human part. We only work because we need to. You do it because you want to be able to use that money in your personal life, free time, and so on. So it's very important always not to lose focus on, okay, we work, but life, it's not about work. Of course, it's a very important, crucial part, but we need to develop our human gifts and our human skills, reading, thinking. I remember being young and saying, I don't have hobbies. But we always have hobbies. We like to go do sports, going to sport events. We like playing online. We like watching series, movies, talking about anything with in a coffee with friends. Making coffee will be one. Being a aficionado for cigars is another one. All those pleasures, cooking, are always like little hints of life saying you this can be a hobby and you can enjoy it a lot. And Many people say that you can monetize your hobby. I am more of the idea that hobbies are like sacred. It's for you to get like in this place apart from all the daily life stuff. So work, maybe even family, friends, 
You just want to focus on yourself. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes when you monetize a hobby, you ruin it. Yeah, <laughs> you make it worse. Yeah, one example that I was really very surprised by is Jim Carrey, the famous comedian. He loves to paint. That's his mm -hmm. hobby. So it's completely unrelated, but that's how he likes to relax. Yeah, I saw the, the painting. He, I think it was a fluorescent one. Yeah, he's got an amazing brain. <laughs> so it's very important to be balanced. With that being said, now that you're in a position where you're, you're constantly working on things, constantly improving, how do you balance learning about new things, but also not giving into what people call the shiny new thing syndrome, where you're always chasing the next thing? How do you balance, okay, I'm good right here, but I still need to learn this point. That's very hard. I wouldn't consider myself the best person to do that, but it's something I always like try to stick into. Okay, this has a long-term goal. Don't focus on the easy part, which is okay, I already have courses online. I don't need to learn more on website, on marketing, on, on online, email campaigns, Facebook campaigns. No, it's always remember what was the original goal well as I, I told you was retiring being free all these things so how can you achieve that how do you work towards that okay I, I gotta do some email campaigns i gotta do more courses better courses more blog posts more podcast episodes videos that are valuable for the audience so i get more traffic so always my idea is okay go and focus in the long shot, not only in what you see here, because the comfort zone is pretty easy to achieve, especially when you get more money and you're like, oh, okay, cool. This is a sweet spot. Not meaning in the sense that just do it for the sake of amassing fortunes. It's, remember the original goal was to be retired, be happy, free, own your time. Don't, don't get blinded by the, the <laughs> little things. Go and see your vision. Yeah, that's true. Good point. So using English, you have the podcast in English, the website is in English, the courses are in English. And you mentioned already why you decided to do that. What are some of the benefits that you've seen besides, of course, having a bigger audience? Mm, that's a tricky one. First, personally, it improves my English, which is great because when I need to speak in English, that will be great. But I wouldn't say I will do it just for the sake of that. But that will be a small one. The going online thing, going all in in the world, that's one very like huge one. Because if I were doing this in Spanish and having the same success, I will feel like, okay, I need to make this big jump into the major leagues, right? Like, let's go and compete versus chemical engineers in the USA that are doing a lot of content or in Europe. So that's like the step I, I am doing. Like I do this in English because I know this is the way to go. This is like the universal language right now. So that's, I don't know if I answer your question, Gary, but that will be, let's say my thought on that. Yeah, that makes sense. One in four people speak English, even though they're not a native speaker. So you have a huge audience. Always important to remark that also it's not all only about English. 
For example, if you will tell me Spanish is more speaking than English, as stated before, they don't have good uh, financial institution or structure. They don't have that many uh, connections to the internet and they are not that willing to pay because the consumption patterns are not that Latin Americans are willing to spend like one course in every month or so. I will say that especially Americans love to consume. They purchase something and then next month they want more. Yeah, it's true. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but being aware of that cultural aspect where some cultures are more focused on buying tangible things like a phone or a TV, yeah. a car. Other people are more focused on intangible purchases. So it's just knowing that people have that mindset is very important. Now with your work there in Mexico, of course you're online. So the pandemic hasn't affected you being online, but how has it affected you personally? It, it did affected me personally in the sense that I went to my old university and I worked there. Happy students willing to improve themselves. It was like a sacred place for me. And then the pandemic hit Then I went here to my house and it's not the same to physically disconnect from one place to another, at least for me. It did reduce my productivity, even though I work maybe more time, if you were to count it. I'm not producing that much, but other than that, actually, I would say, well, of course, like social stuff, not traveling. It's also one that hurts. Overall, it's okay. I, I, I know people is passing through worst, so I cannot complain, to be honest, Gabby. Yeah, that's true. I've been hearing a lot of people talking about lower productivity. How have you noticed that personally? What's going on? Well, I have my metrics as, the, as an engineer. I have my... <laughs> of like, course. My, yeah, numerical stuff. And I see, okay, I'm doing less. Whenever I start the year, I try to set up goals and I, I try, okay, certain amount of courses. I want to start this series of videos. I want to start making informational content, certain amount of blog posts. This amount of ebooks will be new. And this campaign, I see that each month I say, okay, I didn't achieve this. I didn't achieve this. I compare myself before and right now, and I do see a less productivity overall. Which is sad, of course, because I want to create more content, but well, it, it, it is what it is, right? That's okay. I'm sure you will adjust. You got this. But it's taking too long. Ah, don't worry. It will come. You got it. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm sure I will. <laughs> now, this is more of a personal question because like I mentioned before, I want to make a course so bad. I'm okay with public speaking. I'm okay with dancing around in my head, but this actually... <laughs> <laughs> creating a course and letting it be out in the world on my own is scaring me to death. <laughs> so maybe you could give me some pointers on that. What is a good starting point? What should you make as your first course? I will go for a free course. I will go for a short course, maybe one hour tops two hours. I will go for something that you already know people have asked you. So you can do a little bootcamp like that. I will show my face, don't go just screencast or so, try to show your space. We already talked about do, the more you do, the easier. So your first course will be maybe not the best and it should not be the best. Then you improve, you see how people interact with it. Maybe you see that people is dropping in the third video. Why is it? Okay, is it because they start to see a lot of theory? Okay, scratch a little bit of theory, add more practice. So you will tweak things. 
The worst thing I see is, as you stated, people imagine that, oh no, this course is going to be defining my life forever. Of course, the most important one, do it. So it's better if you want to do it via a boring session. Okay, it's better to do that than not doing that. Because then you will have it out there and you will see, oh, there's a lot of traffic to the course or ah, I, I, people is asking me more. So you will see that little thing. And the most important part is that's already done. You will forget about it and you will focus in the next task. So uh, focusing on something that's going to be passing, it doesn't make that much sense. So Gabby, just do it. Make no worries. Fix on the way. Okay. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. Yeah, maybe you can hold me accountable. Like, is it finished yet? Ah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> What's your plan? Do you have even thought it? What would you like to do? Yeah, well, thank you for asking. I actually was talking about it with Carol, I think it was two episodes ago. Yes. <laughs> and so we were talking about what is the best way to go up a language level. So I told her about mm. this method that I use called 625255, where you have 625 words, the top 25 verbs, and the top five tenses, especially once you get past the intermediate point, it's hard to find something to study. <laughs> so that's the plan. That sounds great. Especially if it works, people is going to say, okay, it works now. What else do we have for me? I already achieved this level. What's next? And that's the power of a introductory course. So they like it. They see value. They got it. So what's next? Yeah, it's true. So I just got to start building it and just let it out. <laughs> the best thing is you can always improve it if you want. If you don't like a video, you can just change it. If it's too old, if the audio was not great, if the video, I don't know. For instance, I used to record in 720p and now it's 1080p. So, well, I'm sad in the sense that, unfortunately, I didn't have a camera of that size. Should I update it? Yeah, so I should. And I will eventually. But for now, I'm happy that the course is still, people is happy. It's not that great of a deal. Imagine if I would say, no, I should wait for 1080p. Uh, I will never do because then comes 2K, 4K. You will never finish. You will always have excuses not to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you think about cars and all this other technology, if they wait until it was perfect, we never would have seen it. Exactly. That's, that's the way, yeah. Yeah, there's always one last thing to fix. <laughs> always will be all right well i i will take your advice and start working on that my goal is to have at least the first 1.0 by it's almost the end of the first quarter so maybe by the end of the second quarter uh, one extra tip invest on your platforms microphones and all that because a lot of people say no i don't i'm not sure if it's going to work so why should i invest so the, i really am very sad that they didn't invest it. And I did all by myself, lost, lost a lot of time in the things that I could have paid maybe $20, $50, and will have saved me more time and focus in the actual doing the course stuff. Hmm. Like what exactly? That's a good point. Whatever platform that is dedicated for courses, instead of, for example, my very first website, the material balance one, I did all the video, I uploaded everything to Vimeo. I investigated how to do this via membership. I researched how to do my PayPal stuff, how to integrate it, and my website, how to make the username integrate. Very chaotic stuff. 
a lot of time. Of course, I save some money, but it also sends the message that you are not committed to this, that you are not willing to invest. So that mentally, and of course, the time I lost, it was like, maybe I could have created one extra course, which will be giving me more money. If I made the numbers, it's okay, the $100, $200 that I invested before has already been paid and it's going to pay more because I had more time to make a course. So that's a must. Always invest in tools that make like easier to you to work. Yeah, good reminder. That's why I use Descript for the podcast because some people, they're just typing up the transcript by hand. I'm like, I don't have time for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like you have value to give, how I give it the most efficiently. Emmanuel, thank you so much. If someone wants to get in touch with you, I know we've been flashing all of your information, but if you could just say it for the audio record, how people can get in touch with you, that'd be great. For sure. So I have been doing a lot of work to get noticed. Just check out chemicalengineeringguy.com. That will be my website. If you search in Google chemical engineering guy, hopefully you get at least in top three or top five search, I shall be there. There's also my LinkedIn, which is Emmanuel Ortega. I also have my Instagram, which is Chemical Engineering Guides, pretty straightforward. And my contact email, which is contact at chemicalengineeringguide.com. So anyway, to be honest, mail is the best way to reach me, but you can do it via Instagram, via form in my website. I always check them. Yeah, it's true. It's nice to get some feedback. And don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel, guys, Chemical Engineering yeah. Guy. Sure. <laughs> Learn a lot, a lot of chemical engineering stuff. Chemical Engineering Guy is everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Emmanuel. For those of you who are watching Clever Hybrid's Tribe, we really appreciate you being with us, just like always. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Clever Hybrids. And you can follow our YouTube channel as well. Of course, Clever Hybrids. Got to keep that brand name everywhere, right? Right. <laughs> but until next time, don't forget, optimize through principles, not rules. Mm -hmm.